Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Lynn Ramsey's new thriller, You Were Never Really Here. Based on the novel by Jonathan Ames, the film tells the story of a traumatized veteran who tracks down missing girls for a living. When he takes the case of finding the daughter of a rising politician who's running for the Senate, he uncovers a conspiracy that may lead to his awakening or his death. In addition to You Were Never Really Here, Ms. Ramsey's credits include the feature films We Need to Talk About Kevin, Morvern Collar, Ratcatcher, and the BAFTA award-winning short, Swimmer. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Ms. Ramsey spoke with director Maggie Greenwald about filming You Were Never Really Here. During their conversation, Ms. Ramsey discusses her process of reduction when creating an economic and lean shot list, her desire to mimic the propulsive feel of the source material, and how, in today's cinematic landscape, omitting violence can make it more potent. Okay, this is on. Um, I could talk to you for about five hours about this film and about your work, but and we don't have much time. Um, since we have a room full of directors, I'm gonna go right to um, what I'm fascinated by um, after seeing this film and being familiar with your other work and reading the production notes, which is your process. Um, the, in the production notes, you say you, um, while you were writing the film, you were living in Greece, and your cinematographer came to visit, and your sound designer came to visit. So, uh, as a writer-director myself, I know that we begin the process of directing in the writing, but that sounds like quite an incredible beginning. So, my question is, um, also in the notes, you seem to have an incredibly rigorous, um, and detailed prepare, preparation where you know exactly what you're going to do and then you come in and you do many other things. So um, I'd like you to talk about how that works and how that works with your crew and, uh, and, and your discoveries that make you change everything as you go. Yeah, well, this was a really... I, I wasn't even finished the script when it went into production. Um, it was that, you know, Joachim had a, a window of two months and he, you know, he he phoned me up and said, do you want to do it? Can you do it now? And I was like, oh my God. And I think he thought I'd say no, you know, so he could get out of it, you know. But, <laughs> but I, I was like, you know, he was pin. I put him, his picture up before I even wrote a word on my screensaver, you know, and he's quite a choosy guy, so I didn't know if I could get him, but I just think I telepathically willed him into the movie or something, you know. So it, it, I was still finding the ends because the book didn't really finish either. It was only published in France. Um, Jonathan was going to go on with it. Um, but I'd, I wrote the first draft in spec. Like I was sent it by a production company who worked with Jack Odiard called Why Not? And a development person there, I knew there, she knew I loved genre. And um, she says, I think you might like this. And she sent me it, but they didn't have the rights. So... 
And I didn't know if I could do it. I've never done an action movie. I've never done a, short, like a pure genre movie. So I kind of thought, well, I'll see what I can do with this. And I uh, was quite happy to just see where it went. And, um, and then, be, you know, I was living in Santorini in a village called Ia with no cars. And it was in the winter and there was no... This, the internet's crap and the, the the electricity breaks down every Friday and, you know, you, you have to hang over a cliff to use your phone, you know what I mean? So it's a brilliant place to write, you know. It's, you know. <laughs> and so there's one cafe open overlooking the volcano and, you know, it was like, you know, people played chess there and all that, you know. So it was, it was just, just an amazing kind of, you know, space to write in. And, and, and four weeks later, I had the first draft. Um... But I got my DP in the, and also the sound designer and Johnny Greenwood's really up to speed, you know, so they informed the writing as well. So it was a bit of a different process, like getting people involved. Like, you know, I didn't get the, the, the DP involved just because we were just about to shoot or anything like that. But I also knew him for 20 years, so he knows my images inside out. But because I don't think if we had, hadn't done it that way, I don't think I would have been able to, because we only had six weeks prep and 29 days to shoot. So the fact that I'd done all that work in the script earlier was in the DP and, you know, Paul Davis, my sound designer, were really on top of that, where I wanted to go with it was really how I could do it in that short period of time. Yeah. So, so the script um, in the notes said it was 90 pages, which I suspect means it had a lot more dialogue than it has now. <laughs> well, actually, when, once I knew you had 29 days to shoot, I, I, you know, the, I think the script is a little bit longer, but, like, um, I had to cut 20 pages out in prep, like, you know, while we were shooting it, so, like, kill a lot of darlings, you know. So but also think, you ended up with yeah. a 97-minute film anyway. <laughs> well, that was the pleasure of working from a short novella was, like, you know... I think James L. Cain, like, yeah, had that kind of vibe where, you know, you have this short thing that you can embellish. Whereas we need to talk about Kevin was like five, nearly 500 pages and it was a book of letters. So it was really difficult. And that was a completely different, that was almost edited on paper to get the money to get them to make the movie, you know. Um, so it gave me a lot of room to kind of go where I wanted to go. And I, and I always said to Jonathan Ames right in the beginning, I, that I've never done a straight adaptation and I'm going to take it my own way. But, you know, I, I think I, I was told him I wanted to keep that propulsive kind of page turner quality because I read it in like 90 minutes, which is the same length as this film. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about um, your process of visualizing the scenes, shot listing with your cinematographer, and then you say, and then I change everything, and then I keep looking for something better and looking for something better and looking for something better. And what does that look like on your set when Lynn says, I've got <laughs> something better? Well, um, the, you know, every day, like even though we, we knew this film, I mean, the the, the opening of the film is exactly as scripted and many, many scenes are, but, you know, um, there was a lot of brainwaves in the, the day as well. I'm like, not the day, but in the prep, you know, like, uh, for instance, I thought I would have four days for some of these action sequences and then I realised I had a day or half a day and it was like, I had to be pretty economical and lean. So it was a process, a sort of, you know, reduction in a way. It was like the DP and I, we we'd go, we'd, be up at four in the morning sometimes like 
it was a kind of puzzle. It was like, how do we won't, you know, try to be like clever about like knowing that if we try to take on too much, we're never going to really do that. And then kind of thinking about the psychology of the character for those sequences led to hit a logic within them. Um, and, and so, and I was watching a lot of stuff, you know, try to understand the nature of violence on YouTube and stuff. And that's how that surveillance thing came about. It was like, plus I felt he was really mechanical at that point. But it was a really risky thing to do because I've never had reshoots. And then every time a director tells me they've had reshoots, I'm really jealous, you know, because I've yeah, never had I that. never had them either. <laughs> so, um, uh, Lynn's talking about the scene in the brothel, um, which she had wanted to yeah. shoot for four days. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of the most incredible um, scenes of violence I've mm -hmm. ever seen. It's mm -hmm. absolutely riveting and incredible. Mm -hmm. um, can also, uh, can you talk about the, the way you conceived the violence? Um, most of the scenes, the violence is, uh, is we're anticipating it and seeing the effect of it not seeing it actually happen, which is now pretty standard in most ultra-violent yeah. films. Um, and yet yours was more um, brutal and terrifying um, and cruel than most um, violent films I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, no, uh... thank you. <laughs> I think it's time for violence to look horrible instead of romanticized. Thank you. Well, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's such a violent movie, but like they'll watch a movie that's got 150 people killed in one scene. And I think because it's a kind of much more, sad, um, you know, cartoon kind of, you know, almost a, it's a movie, movie thing to do. It's like almost like explicit violence has become quite banal. So it's funny when you omit stuff how much more potent that can be. I don't think that's saying new. I think silent movies did that really well. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I thought about it as a second kind of sc a script. Uh, the script of the violence for me was, um, it's very mechanical, hence the surveillance cameras. It's very in and out, almost, you know, like where he's at at that point. And then it becomes more personal, like the tooth pulling thing wasn't in the book. He was actually shot in the leg. But Wackyman, and I thought the limping all through the film would just feel like a prop, you know, kind of thing. And keeping that up, you know, the, the whole time. And it was much more personal. And then the mum is personal. And then it's a kind of post-violence. It's like went beyond anything. And you, I don't think you need to see all those guys being taken down to join up the dots, you know what I mean? No, so, I thought the ending uh, scene when he arrives at the... Um, governor's mansion was absolutely brilliant like why waste time seeing him kill them again we know he did and just cutting to them dead was really stunning really stunning thanks um did, so is um is the violence as it's um edited together in the film is that how you shot it we didn't we had about 26 setups a day there wasn't a lot of Time I had to be very, very specific, and I try and be really specific in my scripts. But you have to be really. Um, you also have to have to um, kind of be very present in the day. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, the locations can make something different. Like the space, like um, it was brutally hot. It was, you know, in my imagination, I was shooting it at that nice time in New York in the fall, <laughs> and then I was in. It was the summer. It was like, and I realized why everyone leaves New York in the summer. It's like. You know, or go to that, go to the Hamptons or whatever. You know, get out of town. But because it was, it was grimy and brutal and noisy for me because I come from this really quiet place and that, that kind of, 
went a lot into the sound design was the fact that I'd been in this place that where you'd heard nothing to, to you know, getting to New York and then shutting my eyes and thinking, standing under the L train kind of thing and thinking this is what hell feels like, you know. It's, so, um, uh, yeah, like it, it, it was this kind of, it, it was so electric to work in this film because because of that heat, because of the, his performance was, it was never the same twice and we wanted humour and we didn't want it to be just one tone. But things like the drug dealer scene where he punches a drug dealer, he just did that, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen next, you know. And uh, so, um, so I had this really great energy on the shoot. Um, but yeah, I had to be really sort of sure of what my shots and often time the DP and I was like, yeah, we'd like, you know, we'd nice shot lists and whatever. And, but it was like, okay, here's the puzzle. How do we do this in four shots? No, we don't even have time for that. How do we do it in three? How do we do it in one? You know what I mean? It was all about lean, like being lean and economical and precise and because we had to be, you know, but also react to this amazing, crazy, insane performance. And, you know, it, you know, we have a film with him and his mom that's probably, I could cut a film like Harold and Maud, you know, yeah. like that's just from him and his mom as well. So, um there was a lot of good material, so but the edit was short as well. Like the shoot, it was just one of these crazy things where, it, like, getting getting to Cannes, I never put it forward to Cannes, you know. And then they wanted it, but it's still has storyboards in it, you know. So I had to shoot this. <laughs> that was another mental story, but yeah, yeah I've read uh, something about the flashback scenes in the film. That's why I'm asking you about paring down and paring down to finding the essence of things because the film feels. I mean, looking at it as a director, it feels like the most exquisite puzzle put together um, in, a, in an awe-inspiring way, not just visually, but, uh, but the sound also is, is as complicated and um, uh, as exquisitely put together as the images. Um, um, can you talk about working, the way you work with actors? Um, one of the things that you're, you are able to do in every film of yours that I admire and am in awe of, of ha is to have really sustained close-ups of your actors that are so alive and that also um, where we can see their feelings change in them without the camera moving. And um, obviously with someone like Joaquin, that might not be too hard. <laughs> But you've done that over and over again with children who, um, and you did it with uh, this young actress, Ekaterina. Um, can you talk about how you create that? It's like, like a musical sustain in the emotional performance. Um, well, I've mixed up quite a few times with non-actors as well, non-professional actors. I mean, the kid that's in the car before he goes out of the brothel, um, he was in the art department. And I thought he looked a little bit like that actor from The Warriors, you know, that guy that goes Warriors come out to play, you know. And I thought, can you come in for a reading? And he just was awesome, you know. Like, and then, you know, Joaquin really roughed him up in that scene and all that sweat's really real, you know. I mean, you can never recreate that with makeup. So, again, that is just an awareness sometimes that someone might be good or um, with kids, I never, I just... You know, I'm, I just talk to them very, you know, straight. And I think that it, it's been, with Ratcatcher, I saw about a thousand kids and then the kid we cast 
had like really big ears and didn't even want to be in the movie. He was just a friend of one of the kids that came in, you know. And I'm Boy, like, that yeah. other kid must have been really pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> he was. How yeah. many times? Well, that yeah, that I rewatched Ratcatcher um, in anticipation of this and was just in awe of the, of the boy who plays James and how you got that performance from him. I've just I've just been really lucky with. I mean, Samantha Morton was another, you know, it's hard to oh, say cat. Yeah. You know, the produ- I remember the producers, were, uh, the producer, and he's a really nice guy of that film. He, could, he was standing behind me. I could feel his breath in my neck, and it was because the film stock <laughs> was going through the camera. So, like, it was like, you know, 10-minute mags, you know, and I w- I, it was hard to call cut because she was just, like, mesmeric, you know. Um, but we made... <laughs> Samantha Morton starred in more Vern Keller and was yeah. ex- exquisite as... And she's, Same kind she's, of performance. She's she's amazing, and Joaquin's much like that, and um, he's just extraordinary, you know. Um, you know, Dave, you know, really, you know, um, he blew me away, and he, he turned up seven weeks before the shoot as well, which was terrifying, fine because I'd 120 locations to see, and you know, this crazy prep, and like I'm like, how can I hang out? And but we found a way. He lived around the corner from me, and like running back and forth, like we ideas, like what do you think of that and this and. It was very alive, the whole film. The Tilda Swinton's the kind of person that goes, can you just show my back fat a, a little bit, you know, that bit under the bra, because that's much more authentic, you know. You don't get many actors saying that, you know. <laughs> so, and John C. Reilly is just amazing. Ezra Miller, I, I just, it's just been, you know, just, uh, and then, you know, I met Ezra when he was 15, and, you know, um, and then I've, the, Ekaterina had never really done that much, and, you know, in New York, there's a lot of great uh, kids actors, but a lot of them are like 14, going on 40, 45. Like, and she, she just the, there was a kind of natural thing about her that Joaquin we got her in for, and he improvised with her a little bit, and she just went along. And you know, I felt that she kind of had something to take O'Neill, you know, when she was when she was young. So. Um, yeah, just I, I don't know. Like, it's hard to put my finger on specifically. It's just a, an instinct, and and then you know, sometimes mixing up the actors and the non-actors is surprisingly good. You know what I mean? Um, even if it can be tough, you've just got to treat it in a different way. You know. But can you um, be a little more? Maybe give a more specific example of um, the back and forth that you had for instance, with Joaquin in the seven weeks he was here while you were prepping and how that might have changed. Uh, You know, it's very unusual on a modest budget film in the United States to have actors there more than a couple of days ahead of the start. So um, to have someone there, you know, for seven weeks who wants to talk to you about stuff. (laughs) um, Um, Well, it it was great because he always questions everything. I mean, there was... There was still, like, things in the script which are a bit, like, the from, you know, they seem cool. They were in the novella, like, he wears late, these latex gloves and there was a kind of couple of, like, a phone jammer thing, like, kind of gadgety things. And so he met the prop guy, props guy, before he met me. And um, the props guy came out shaking, like, oh, my God, you know what I mean? Because um, Joaquin just went, no, no, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, you know. So all these props were, like, it made me see that we didn't need anything like that. And also the way he was physically, he was building up like that before my eyes. I was like, he's becoming the hunchback of Notre Dame and that shoulder and the, you know, and uh, and I, I, 
you know, I knew he would have a beard because he was going to play Jesus afterwards and Mary Magdalene, you know. Uh, and he had to lose all that weight afterwards. But just the commitment of this guy is astonishing. And he was putting that weight on like body armour. But I was seeing that, you know. And so we were questioning, questioning, always like anything that felt like a cliche or we'd seen before or th something that just to always keep it interesting and, and, and exciting. Um, and, and so... You know, that could, sometimes that was like, you know, to me, I was like, oh my God, I, you know, my, I felt like my brain was going to explode. But it was great as well. It was really like informing. It was like he was a member of the crew, I've got to be honest, you know. It was like having your DP there, but he's an actor and he's, you know. It's really you fantastic. Know? And with, I mean, I have no doubt that the depth of his performance can be attributed a great deal to that and the connection that you were able to develop and have time for peeling away all the bullshit. Um, uh, you describe, um, you changed the ending of the book. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, in the book, uh, Joe saves her. He's the savior. And Lynn would have none of that. Um, so could you talk about your process which, with coming to that and you... you Describe the film, the premise of the film as being a, very much about the, a crisis of masculinity, which is is really where we are now in Western culture. Well, well, it was we changed the, the whole end is different. Um, I mean, he didn't save the girl, but he was going after to save Hardy Saver in the book, and it was going to continue like that. And you know what? Um, and when this, Wakim and I were really talking a lot about this. Um, and so to me, it was always a bit a fallible man. When he, when he drops that hammer at the end, he, he doesn't get the big retribution scene. And that's what happens in the novel. It was like the bit, you know, there was a, you know, the, the, you know, gets, he gets to the guy, you know, the, the, there's a big speech and then he kills him and then he goes off to get the girl, you know. And, and one thing we really felt is that he should really, you know, like he's kind of implodes, you know. He, he, the, nothing makes any sense in the world anymore. It's like it's not the easy black and white. I get the guy and I save the girl, and I'm the the knight in shining that armor. So, you know, even though it's surrealist, I guess it's like we wanted to give. We felt. I, I think I really felt I, the girl should have more agency and like and and that mm -hmm. in a way she saves herself. He can't even save himself, you know. In a way, mm -hmm. she saves him. So it's a pass he's the baton on, even though. Mm -hmm. Oh, that trauma has been in both, mm -hmm. with both of them, you right. know. So, right. so that was all different, yeah. As was like things like the mom and him, where mm -hmm. it was much longer in the script. It was only touched upon in the book, and it was much more of an idyllic relationship. Like, you know, he loves his mom, and you know, this was exquisite. It's one of the most wonderful mother-son relationships I I can remember. It will stay with me forever. Um, particularly the psycho bit, because who hasn't wanted to do that to their mother? <laughs> <laughs> well, that well, that wasn't in the, in even the, if you love your mother with all your heart. No, well, that was another thing that Wakib and I spoke a lot about because in the novella it was it was it was very much like um, he loves her and it was quite poetic and quite idealized and we were both saying had this thing about when you live with your elderly mom, like you might love her, but like God, the, you know. 
you it can frustrate that love can be really you know and looking after someone can be frustrating as well and you kind of want to kill them sometimes you know or like there's a there's a it's and it gave it much more dimension i think you know all this stuff with the, the fridge the fridge scene when he's taking all this stuff out of the refrigerator was kind of inspired by my mum who, who will keep all the food. You know, you're like, mum, that's been two months since that. You need to chuck that out, you know. And then things like the, t my mum watches um, TCM all the time, all these thrillers, but and she turns them up really loud even though she's not deaf. And so, you know, like, I just asked Judith, what what would you be, what would you think you'd be watching? And, and people thought I was making some reference to Hitchcock, but she just, that was the first take. She, it was like this amazing serendipity and she was like, you know, Psycho was on today, you know, and to which he went the ee, ee, ee sound, which ended up costing like 15 grand and then it cost another 15 grand because he did that again upstairs, you know. So that was it. <laughs> but it was like, you know, she, she's, she was amazing. That, just the two, the, 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 the chemistry between the two of them was quite amazing, you know. It, like, you could see it. It was really beautiful and tender but not sentimentalized it felt very real it didn't feel like bullshit, which it could have when you have a killer a killer man who loves his mom it that stay that's a fine line you've got to tread to make that real and make it work yeah, that, we felt just exactly mm -hmm. how you what mm -hmm. you said there it's like um, that that needed more dimension mm -hmm. and so it was something that Joaquim and I talked about a lot and I, and I really love shooting that whole mm -hmm. section mm -hmm. and like I say there is a long you could make a film just about him and his mom you know like a kind of crazy you know and it, it would be you know one of these days maybe in like 20 years or something I'll do that I'll cut that <laughs> I look know, forward Harold to it <laughs> uh, they'll probably ask you to put it in the special features <laughs> for the DVD package I'll buy the DVD package just for that um uh, God, I had another question. It just flew out of my um, my head. Um, oh, I wanted to talk about your palette, which is the palette of your films and the production de design of your films. They all have a, a connection to each other. They're not. They're not. They they feel like distant, like cousins. Some of them distant cousins, with. Um, Imagery that you bring back again and again, the, um, the drowning under the water, the, the wallpaper in a lot of the houses. Um, can you talk about how you and your cinematographer and your production designer um, build the palette of the film? Well, uh, it's, we knew that we wanted to, to show kind of like the New York that you never, that you don't always see. It wasn't the Manhattan skyline, you know, so between the production designer and the locations manager, like Tim Grimes was my production uh, uh, designer and um, we had a, an amazing um, woman who reminded me of Bobby Fleckman from Spinal Tap, you know, um, who called Sasha Springer, who found these amazing off the beaten track thing, places. So we were really responding to that. And um, But this is the first film I've ever shot digitally, you know, I, I mean, uh, I actually pulled all these favors, and I got Kodak were going to give me this free stock and blah blah blah. But there was a lot of like, you know, producers never want to budget it up these days, um, even though it can often be much less money than you think. So I was going to particularly in post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but having learned in the discipline of film, I'm really pleased I did because I, you know I just you know 
was on the set of someone else's movie that's like recently and um there was people running in and out like just like the assistants and stuff the camera just keeps running and like we're like we can take that out and post or we can cut that and I'm like oh my god you know it's like it's not you know so that's having that short time to shoot and and also you know we created the look uh it's a quite a raw look you know but I had to I did a lot of tests you know and I set the grades and um and the DP and I did things like we were just like uh, coming back from locations like Yonkers or something, coming back through the city. And I just shot from the window like a short film, a whole in, all of New York, but in close up. And we used to be cut back to that shot quite a lot, you know. And that was just like, because we didn't have time to go do a lot of... So when you're you prepping, know. do you carry a camera around? Yeah, I, I shot some stuff in prep that was in Kevin on a 5D. Mm -hmm. These raindrops and stuff mm -hmm. on the way, you know, when I was just like going to locations and scouting and stuff like that. So again, it's just like using the time really, really inventively as much as we can. Um, and then I think, you know, like just the, the, the DP knew me so well and that mm -hmm. we, 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 there was a dialogue there that... Mm -hmm was almost like, you know, when you just like kind of know someone inside out, you know, I mean, he used to be a photographer as well. I've known him for 25 years. And so, yeah, like it was, and Tim finds in these brilliant locations like the mum's house or the little stairwell with the, you know, the drug dealer and stuff like that. And the space informed also the performance, you know, yeah. so it, it was, it well, was really just people. the small spaces yeah. made him feel enormous. The narrow hallways which you accentuated and... I grew up in New York, and it it feels like that, like the walls are closing in on you. <laughs> well, funnily enough, we saw French Connection after, like, when I went uh -huh. to do the first cut, and I hadn't seen it for years, and, you, you know, um, and what's, you know, I was, it was a kind of screening, and the editor and I went to in LA, and it was uh, an academy screening, and um, it was just, like, really refreshing, because the first hour, not much happens, but just seeing that car chase through New York was, you were just like, how the hell did they do that, you know? Because, you know, it's hard with the permits and stuff, like, um, but definitely, I think... It wasn't that hard then. <laughs> no, uh, but because Joaquin looked like a bum or a construction worker, and there wasn't any selfie crowd to, to a degree, and because of the locations, because they were a bit off the beaten track, there was quite a lot of freedom, because no one thought... It was Joaquin Phoenix, so that was kind of good. You know? Well, that's sort of one of the advantages of shooting digital is the minimal lighting and all of that, so you yeah. can... No, there's, there's things that... I like the discipline of shooting in film a bit. I don't shoot... You can shoot too much in digital, and I think... Make decisions. Yeah, make decisions. But also I love that... The one thing, it's great at night, digital, and the legs is... It looks really good, you know? Like, um, but also I think... Um, it was great. We had an actor like Joaquin Phoenix going back to that thing that with Morvan Callard, there was a lot of film stalking through the camera. <laughs> that, but I could keep on. It was great for the performance yes. for me. Yeah, yeah, I found the same thing um, to just keep rolling. Um, in the production notes, you say that you, you did have a very good experience shooting with the digital, but that you still feel there's something more organic about, about film. Can you talk about, say what that is for you? Well, it's just, I was at this uh, festival in Greece or somewhere, like Ceros, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of cool, saw a lot of cool films, and then they showed a print of Night of the Hunter or something, or and also Rear Window, and it's just jaw-droppingly different. It's not as clean, you know, and it's just got something, 
I think still for me, I still love it. It and feels alive. It does. It feels yeah. alive. Things start to all look the same these days. And but the thing is, like even if you shoot film now, the film stocks look kind of the same. The same. Yeah. Anyway, so. But it just you know, it feels like sometimes you're going a long way around the houses to make a look like film, like through all these different processes, and you're like, just shoot it in film for God's sake, you know, and go see the rushes in a big screen. There's nothing like that, you know. Um, I remember the days where just like you come and see the dailies, like you know that 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 was really informative, you know. So just I, I think I'm I'm glad that that's how I learned, you know. But I think it depends on the movie, you know. Like if I was doing loads of night scenes again, and I always thought I would shoot the night scenes in the Alexa, but I thought I was trying to speak to Robert Ellsworth. Uh, I spoke to a bit, like, um, um, but it just it was an, it, it just wasn't on the, the table, you know. Um, but he shot night. I think is it Nightcrawler, like what half and half, like it was digital for night. And still, the highlights in the day to me look a bit digital, but that's just maybe you know. Um, but it's closer and closer because the film stocks are just so yeah. dull these days, you know? Mm -hmm. They look, they're trying to make it. But I hate when you have feeling that you can see the bolts in the set and stuff like that. Yeah. When it's so hard, it's too, it's too so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we have to wrap up, but I want to ask you one question. Did you, uh, did you work with a single camera for the whole shoot or did you have multiple cameras for any scenes? No, I worked with a single camera. Like, you know, I don't... You don't know. Oh, I think there was one, there was when the scene where the gunman, where they sing the song, you know, um, the Charlene I've Never Been To Me song. Um, they, we did get a B camera on that. And for some reason, the B camera operator and me and the DP, it, it, you know, poor guy, he was a nice guy and stuff. But all he did was uh, he filmed the tap dripping while the other guy was getting beaten up. And I'm like, no, no, just like, <laughs> and again, there was like a lot of first take stuff in this. So I, I felt really sorry for the other guy who performed for his life. And yet the other camera was on the tap dripping, you know. So, uh, but I actually find it much, I think you just more focus when you've got a single camera, unless it's something that really requires something like a lot of different angles for an action sequence, then it, it can be useful, but I, I like the focus of a single camera, yeah. Um, we have to wrap up, but um, I hope that the success of this film affords you uh, the money people to finally give you the keys to the castle so you can make whatever films you want from now on, because those are the films I want to see. Thanks very much. Films. Well, I think, considering Joachim doesn't do any press, he's been going to the Arclight for the last three days, just turning up at the end of the cinema, uh, the screening, and or at the beginning, he tell people he turned their phones off. <laughs> <laughs> do they know it's him <laughs> yeah well he's just surprised him it's just really beautiful that he's gone down and meeting people at the screenings and supporting it i mean because he did that so he doesn't normally do that so i'm really touched you know mm -hmm. but but yeah like, i'd hoped it, it would take another six years to to make a movie you know and this has been such I a brilliant think so i think this is yeah. your time well it's been such a brilliant creative it. experience and i so enjoyed making the film i hope some of that you know you know came through that the the energy in it and you know it was just because it, it was so much fun but um so i'm just dying to do the next one and use that same crew again and can i ask <laughs> the, the other, i'll ask the other annoying question do you know what you're doing next or a movie with Joaquin Phoenix, or a comedy, you know. Um, Anything with Joaquin. <laughs> no, I've got a few things. Joaquin the, too. Yeah, a few things in the pipeline that we're talking about, like, like things I've been thinking about for a while. Um, 
So yeah, it's just that I've been talking about this film for like, it seems to have went on for ages. I'm like sick of my own probably. Sorry about this. Um, but it's just like, uh, you know, you just, you have to talk, you know, you you make films to do the talking and then you, you obviously talk about, have to talk about it for the promotion. But I'm just looking forward to getting that, going back to that Greek island or sitting on top of a mountain and just kind of meditating on what the next thing is. Because you guys all know, like, films take two, three years. You want to be sure it's the right thing so that you, you know, you love it two or three years down the line. So I'm finding that thing now, but got a couple of ideas, yeah. Well, E is a nice place to hang out. And it's not uh, bad. Find your ideas. <laughs> the tourists have taken over it now. Great, so. with your child, with your girl. All right, thank you so much. This Thanks great. very much for coming. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 